Father, uh, tonight we do thank you, God, just how good you are to us. And Lord, I thank you that we are able to lift up our hearts, Lord, and, and uh, uh, just sing praise to you. I thank you that, Lord, just as we get involved in those songs and close our eyes and think about how truly great our God is, it places us in that position to hear from your word and, and Lord, to be able to be men and women who are encouraged and strengthened by what you have recorded for us and what you're gonna speak to us tonight. So I do pray, Lord, as we, as we open your word that you would bless this time, that, that, Lord, we would be encouraged and strengthened in it. And, Lord, as we leave here tonight, that we would be so excited about you as we read about what you did for a group of people a couple millenniums ago, Lord, that we know that you're the same God and that you desire to work through us in our generation and cause us to, to make things different in our world. So bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. As I, as I studied this, I got to thinking in, in uh, Esther, especially in this section, and uh, just kind of maybe ask some pretty personal questions. Do you guys ever blow it? <laughs> do you ever, do you ever, do you ever like, like blow it verbally and you wish you could do a rerun and suck everything back in and you kind of go, why did I do that? You just lose it, right? And sometimes, hey, I think of diet, sometimes you're on a diet and then you binge and, and you, you get in that. So, it's all dealing with this thing called self-control, which self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, which is interesting, right? So I like to hassle people when they do that and say, obviously, you're not having much fruit today. And then they get all mad, and, and then they really have to repent. But you think about that, and, and if anybody had a reason to lose self-control in a situation, it's these people, they're gonna read about and the thing you know hey there's some great things that happen but the thing that stands out the most to me is the self-control that the Jews used in this situation when they could have lost it they could have they could have gone over the edge and they choose not to and they they have that self-control so what an amazing thing and and just to catch us up and kind of get us in that mood we need to think about you have a group of people who have been you know displaced and then they've been hassled, and then they got some relief, and then they got hassled, and then some of them went back to the homeland, some of them stayed there, and then out of nowhere comes this guy all of a sudden on the scene who wants to annihilate them and talks the king into making a decree. The king makes a decree, and for all intents and purposes, you've lived for a few months knowing that on the 12th month of the 13th day of that month, you were gonna die. And then along comes another person out of nowhere. And he gets things changed. He makes another decree. And you get this decree. Now here's the thing. You get this decree and it tells you this. You can stand against the forces who come against you and you can take a stand. And you know, we read that and we think, well, they're gonna do it. But you have to understand something. They had to do it. 
They could have chose not to believe that. They could have said, well, I don't think God's on our side. I don't think this is going to happen. And they could have, you know, shrink back from that response. But they take that stand tonight, as we're going to see. And that, that really blows my mind. Now, verse 1, I want to I spend a little bit of time in verse 1. It says, now, in the 12th month, that is, the month of Adar, on the 13th day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to, uh, and his decree to be executed. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, and the opposite occurred in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. Now, verse 1 gives us exactly what happens. Now we're going to spend the, you know, the rest of this chapter and, and kind of close it out in chapter 10 explaining how they did that. But I want us to think about something. The world was supposed to hate them, in a sense, and win. And what does it say? but they overcame the world. Hey, Christians, we need to think about that because we live in a world that I, I, don't, I, I think becomes a bit overwhelming at times. And I look at our world and, I, and I, sometimes I, I think, can we ever have you know, what's right back again? And you know who it's up to? Us. You see, we have a decree from our God we have a letter from him. Well, we have like 66 letters. And we either choose to believe his word or not. Just like that group. That group of people scattered throughout. Now, listen, they weren't all in one place. You got to remember that. They're scattered throughout. There's 127 provinces or states or country states or whatever. They're scattered all over. They didn't have... They didn't have Instagram, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have any of that to communicate and encourage each other, and as I'm thinking, from one providence to the other. All they had was this letter saying, hey, you can take a stand against this, and are you going to believe it or not? Are you going to walk in it or not? And you and I have that same thing, only we have Facebook, Instagram, we have all this technology that we can communicate instantly with each other, we can encourage each other. I think we live in a, an extremely exciting time to use the stuff that's in front of us to glorify God, and wouldn't it be great if the world was afraid of us in a good sense? I'm not talking about let's go conquer. I'm talking about wouldn't it be great if we could influence our world the way these guys have influenced their world? So that's what happened now. It tells us how that began to happen in verse two. It says the Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king of, of uh, King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought to harm or who sought their harm, and no one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all the people. And all the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai had fell upon them, for Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces, for this man Mordecai became increasingly prominent. Now, what we're learning here is here's a guy that came out of obscurity and has risen to that place now because the hand of God put him there, and all of the people who had the upper hand now are afraid of the Jews coming against him. They, they, they were gonna annihilate them. They were gonna take him out. They supposedly, you know, had 
put the fear in the Jews, and now all of that had turned because of Mordecai. Now, I don't think we need to get political. I don't think we need to elect a Mordecai. I know sometimes we feel that way. If we could just do, hey, we, don't, we have the king of kings. We have the Lord of lords on our side. We have the one who created the entire universe. What do we need some dumpy political figure for? We have that on our side. And if we would look at the world through those eyes, I think we would conquer. Again, not in the sense that we're gonna go beat everybody up. I'm not, I'm not advocating, you know, violence for Jesus. Let's take it over. But I do think we need to change the world. And I read this and I, and I read these people and think about, think about them taking that stand and finally acting upon it. And then here's what I believe. I believe they were shocked. I believe as things begin to change and things begin to turn, I mean, they're going, wow. All we did was believe God's word or Mordecai's word but it was from God, right? That's all we did. We believe that, and look what's happening, man. They're afraid of us. People are, are changing, and think about in their own lives. I, I think about Mordecai. Don't you think Mordecai was a little shocked at where he ended up? Esther, we talked about her, right? Hey, Esther took a huge chance, and it paid off, and now she's the queen. Mordecai's in that position. I believe, I believe as Christians, we should be shocked when God places us someplace where he uses us in a distinct way. I'm amazed. I, I'll tell you, you know, and I say this, and I remember, I remember as a, as a you know, younger pastor, I was never a young pastor, I guess, because I got saved when I was, you know, in my 30s. So, but as a younger pastor, I remember listening to, to Chuck Smith, Pastor Chuck, and, and he would say, I just wake up in the morning and I pinch myself. I just can't believe this is happening. And I just think, yeah, yada, 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 whatever. Sounds so spiritual. And then I think, and, and you, get, you get in that place, God uses you, you get in a place and now I'm saying those same things. I pinch myself. I cannot believe that God has allowed me to do what God has allowed me to do. And don't you know that Mordecai is there? And here's the amazing thing, man. God wants to use every single one of us. And he wants to use us for his glory. All we have to do is yield to him. All we have to do is be people who are willing to believe his word, start walking in it, and see what he does. Years ago, when I was first saved, I read a book about a guy in, in South America. I don't remember which country in South America, and I've shared this story before. This guy got saved by reading the Bible. He wanted to learn English. Someone left a Bible. By the way, he owned a brothel, a bar, and a grocery store in this little community. And he had two wives. And he decided he wanted to learn English. Some missionaries had left a Bible. He started reading the Bible to learn English. He read the Bible and got saved. And as he got saved, here's the crazy thing. People would come. He would share Jesus with them as he's serving them tequila. <laughs> well, he didn't know. But people get all freaked out. And so some missionaries came and they go, uh, you got things kind of mixed up here. And they go, how did you get saved? Well, I read the Bible. And he said, okay, well, maybe you should think about this. And here's, here was his answer. If I should sh do that, show me where it says that in here. 
And they would show him in the Bible and he'd say, okay. So they told him, hey, you can't have two wives. That's not, that's not biblical. And he goes, again, show me. They showed him. And so here's what he did. I love this part. He took one of the wives, set him up in a place, provided for them, cared for them, but never had that husband-wife relationship again and, and kept one of the wives. And then get this. This guy planted over 150 churches in the, in the mountainous area where he lived. 150 churches. And the missionaries then came to him and said, how did you do that? You know what he said? He said, I read this and believed it. That's all. Saints, that's, what, that's all that's going on here. What changed from when the king gave the decree and the other letter? Nothing changed other than you can believe it or not. And they believed it. And now, now it says the people were fearful. And then it explains a little bit. It gets a little bit kind of tough here. Thus the Jews, in verse 5, the Jews defeated all of the enemies with, with the stroke of the sword and with the slaughter and destruction. This isn't always great. And did what they pleased with those who hated them. Now listen, we got to understand something. You know, for, for homework, read, read 1 Samuel 15. You got you to get into that because, because and then you got to read uh, Exodus 17 too to find out what 1 Samuel 15 is about. So you got to do, you know what, just start in Genesis and read your Bible till, till you fall asleep tonight. But hey, it is important, you got to understand, it's all started in Exodus. When the children of Israel are coming out and the Amalekites came against them and withstood them and wouldn't let them cross. And they sinned against God by sinning against Israel. And then a long time later in, in 1 Samuel 15, what does he tell Samuel? Go wipe those people out. Wipe them out. And I love, that's one of my favorite things. I love, uh, I don't love what happened, but Samuel goes and he doesn't wipe them out and he takes the king and, and takes him and takes some of the plunder, which God said don't touch anything. We'll get to that in a moment. And then, and then I love when Samuel, my, one of my favorite things, because I love to do this with, with some of the brothers that, that you hang with sometimes and you know they're sinning. Samuel came to Saul and he says, hey, Saul, he goes, you were supposed to do what God did. And he goes, I did. I obeyed God completely. I'm following the Lord. I did everything he said. And I loved, I loved this. Oh, yeah? What's the bleeding of sheep I hear? You see, our sin will always find us out, right? And the sheep told on Saul. So what they're doing here is they're finishing what Saul should have done centuries before because of the evil of these people. You gotta understand something. God gave them hundreds of years to repent and we need to understand that. They chose not to repent so now they're wiping them out, the men. And then it says in verse six, and in Shushan, the citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Now I find that, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of intense. And in one province, 500 guys. You know what that tells me? I, I, love, I love when you read commentators and they go, well, that must be an exaggeration. That couldn't happen. How did they do, you know? And they go on and on and on. The way I interpret that is that's how horribly those people hated the Jews. 
that there were that many that came against the Jews even after they saw, and, and this is in the capital, so what did they see? They saw Haman stuck on a pole, right? Whether he was skewered on a pole or hanging on a rope, doesn't matter. He was up there on display. They knew, they knew that Haman had blown it, and hey, they're still coming after the Jews, and, and if they slaughtered 500, a multitude must have come after them, and they withstood them. And the Jews withstood them. And so it tells us, listen, after that it tells us that it says, and in Shushan, the citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men also. Then skip down to verse 10, the 10 sons of Haman, because I'm not going to try and read their names. So you can, you can work through those names, right? They're kind of, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, why didn't they say Samuel, George, Pete, and etc.? But it's, you know, wow, there's some strange names there. I did that just for you. I did that just for you, Lisa. Okay, let's, let's do the names. Wait, let's do the names. <laughs> so, well, somebody got blessed tonight. That's a good thing. So, these, uh, these names are the 10, that was classic. The, the, these names are the, are the 10 sons of Haman. So, not only did they come against those who were gonna kill them, they kind of cleaned up Haman's heritage or lineage. And so they take care of his 10 sons. It says in verse 10, the 10 sons of Haman, the son of uh, Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, and they, ki- they, uh, they killed, but they did not lay hold of the plunder. Now, underline that. Because here's where I think the self-control came in. We need to understand, this was not just vengeance. It wasn't just going after these people who wanted to kill you. This was a self-defense thing. This is, if we don't get them, they're gonna kill us. And proof of that is, they didn't go after their goods. They didn't take their plunder. Now I believe, I believe that was embedded in them because of what happened in 1 Samuel 15. Hey, those guys had Bibles, they read Bibles, and they're going, man, if that happened to, to, to King Saul, we're not gonna touch anything. So they kinda, that, that is self-control, right? Because I think a lot of us, if we're really honest, a lot of us, hey, if God put us in that position and all of this stuff was in front of us that nobody was taking care of and you knew they, nobody was going to get it, well, I could take a sheep or two and then Samuel's gonna show up, and then the sheep are gonna, and Samuel's gonna say, you know, what's the, what's the bleating of the sheep I hear? So, so, man, they took nothing. That's pretty intense. Because a lot of us think, well, I deserve it. Look what I've been, look at the stress I've been under. Look what's happened to me. Even in our culture, I think of, you know, something bad happens to somebody and, you know, right away they're thinking, well, no, I deserve compensation because this happened to me and that happened to me. No, why don't you just kind of let it go? Now, I'm not saying you need to kill a bunch of people, but kind of let it go. So they walked away. When you think of all of these people, they walked away from it. And then, and then it kind of also gets a little bit better. In verse 11, it says, On that day, the number of those who were killed in Shushan and the citadel was brought to the king. So here's what happens, man. They show up to the king, and they tell the king, Hey, 500 people were killed. Now, think about this for a moment, because I think this is important. Your king... 
You're the king of, Shushan, of, of, of all of Babylonian, all that empire. You're living in Shushan, and somebody comes up to you, and here's what they tell you. 500 of your people just got massacred. How do you react, king? What's your response to that? And I think it's important, listen, we read this and we go, well, I know what he did, but just because he did that, you gotta, you gotta put this, this is real life. This isn't a movie. Everybody's not gonna get up at the end and go home. These are real people that died, and the king, these are his people. Shouldn't he be concerned? Don't you think he should care a little bit? Hmm. Look at, look at his response. They came and they said, hey, 500 people died. And, then, and, and verse 12, and the king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shushan, the citadel, and the 10 sons of Haman, that I don't want to say their names. And he says, what have, what have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? So here's what he's saying. Here's what happened in the city. Don't read on. Here's what happened. You've got to wait. Here's what happened. Here's what happened in the capital. And then it's kind of like this. I wonder what happened in the whole world, so, in, you know, in his world. Here's what happened here. 500 people died. But I have 127 provinces. I wonder what happened there. I don't think, I don't think he's necessarily asking a question. I think he's just kind of, wow. If that went on here, think about the whole thing. And then he says this. This is what blows my mind. Now, what is your petition, and it shall be granted to you, or what is your further request that shall be done? He goes to the queen. Listen, he doesn't go, man, we lost 500 men. And we're going to find out in a minute, he lost 75,000 people. That's a lot of people to die, right? So here's what he says. He says, this happened, and then he says, hey, Esther, what do you want me to do? Really? Like you're not bummed out a little bit? It hasn't affected you at all that these 500 people died, part of your kingdom? No, queen, what do you want to do? I think he was really in love with her. In spite of the fact that he had harems and stuff, he had to really like this lady. This lady won his full attention because she didn't come to him and say, hey, I need something. He came to her this time. I often wonder if she held out the golden scepter. Here, you can stay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But she, he says, what do you want? Now, maybe we didn't get the background. Maybe there was some kind of body language or something going on. He knew something was troubling her. Something was happening. So he's concerned about that. But I'm still dumbfounded that he's not like bumming a little bit. Just, it would just be like maybe even just a little tear. So out of the corner of his eye, the 500 people died. But he's going, hey, what do you want? Then Esther, verse 13, said, hey, if it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan to do again tomorrow according to today's decree and let Haman's 10 sons be hanged on the gallows. So remember, they're, they're dead. Remember, hanging to them wasn't <gasps> hanging. Hanging to them was you stuck them on a pole, kind of right up through their rib cage, and just like they're on a skewer, is the way I think, and you just and stick them up there. So everybody, now I don't think I don't think she's being vicious. I don't think she's going. I want to see those guys. Here's what I think she's saying. I want everybody to know. You need to back off. Don't be doing this. It's kind of like buying a billboard. I think the heart of Esther was sincere about, about we need to stop this and we need to stop it now because here's what's going on. They still want to come against her. 
and against the Jews in Shushan. Somehow, somehow, I don't know if it was on Facebook or how, but she knew, she knew that they were planning on still coming against her or their, the people, the Jews, the next day. So she says, here's what I want. I want a decree that we can still fight tomorrow and I want those guys hung on a gallows so people can see you don't really want to do this. Let's not fight tomorrow. So that's what she asked the king for and it says in verse 15 or 14, so the king commanded this to be done and the decree was issued in Shushan and they hanged Haman's son and, then, and they hanged Haman's 10 sons. And the Jews who were in Shushan gathered together again on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they killed 300 men at Shushan, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. Again, that self-control, right? So now they've killed 800 people or men there. Now, here's what's important. If you remember, there was a thing in the decree sounded like they could kill women and children. They didn't do that. So they're just coming against their enemies, they're coming against those who are gonna attack them, and they defend themselves, and now it's done. It's done. And it tells us then, in verse 16, the remainder of the Jews in the king's province gathered together, protected, so we're kind of going back to the 13th, protected themselves from the rest, or protected themselves, and they had rest from their enemies, and they killed 75,000 of their enemies, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. So 75,000, that's a, that's, a, that's a huge death toll. And if you take these 800, it's almost 76,000. Now people go, is that an exaggeration? Well, from what I read, there was like five billion people, not billion, million, living in, that, in the whole area, 127 provinces. So that's a, that's a huge area. It wasn't just this little you know, dinky part where we think of Babylon or Iraq or Iran today. It was all over. They went all the way down into India. They were all over. So in all of those, the Jews were successful and the world was not. And here's what I want, man. I want us to be successful and the world not. Not killing people, but I want to see, listen, I want to see the church once again shine brightly in this world. And the things of God, you know, brought about in public, not having, hey, not having to, you keep that to yourself. I love it. I love it when somebody says, well, you keep that to yourself. That's religion. And then you just like explode. I'm not keeping it to myself. So look at the victory here. And where did this victory come from? One letter. One letter Remember when they got the first letter? Because they got warned. This is crazy. They got warned. And then Haman sent out the decree. And remember what it said? Everybody was mourning and fasting. Then they get another letter a few months later. And then they have nine months to prepare. That's a long time. That's a long time for both sides to be to be doing stuff, to be getting ready. The one side had a couple months head start. They had nine months to prepare the Jews. But man, in all of that, listen, man, all they had in front of them, the only thing that changed, they had a letter saying, you can defend yourself. And so they went for it. You read that. And then verse 17 says, this was the 13th day of the month of Adar. And on the 14th day of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Hey, they went from fasting and mourning to feasting and gladness. That's kind of a cool thing, right? So they're celebrating. They're not celebrating, woo we killed 75,000 people. 
They're celebrating the fact that they survived, that they're there. And there's a bit of patriotism, and, and I don't think patriotism's a negative thing. There's a bit of patriotism, and, and they're saying, look it, man, we made it. We're a group of people living in a foreign country, and we made it. Woo! So they're having some fun. Well, on the 14th day, while everybody around, all around Shushan is, is you know, feasting and celebrating, Meanwhile, back in the city, he kind of back up again, verse 18, but the Jews who were in Shushan assembled themselves on the 13th day as well as on the 14th day, and then on the 15th day of the month, they rested and made a day of feasting and gladness. So the group outside of the city walls feasted on one day, the group inside of the city walls feasted on another day, and everybody's happy. Well, they should be. Verse 19, therefore the Jews of the villages who dwelt in unwalled towns celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar uh, with gladness and, and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. So those who lived outside the wall, they feasted one day. Those who were inside feasted another day. Now I think this went on for a little bit. And they kind of, and then somebody went, why are we doing this? And so they kind of got together, verse 20, and Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to the Jews near and far who were, all in, a, or who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days, 15th days of the month of Adar as the days of which the Jews had rest from their enemies as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from morning to, to a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and joy and sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. So here's what's going on. Mordecai wrote a letter and he goes, let's just do a two-day feasting. Let's celebrate for two days. Now, I kind of like that. And let's just give each other presents and let's remember what God did. And let's remember what happened. And let's gather around that in the U.S. We call that the 4th of July, right? We celebrate. We celebrate our independence. We celebrate what happens. Now, here's what I kind of like about this. I think it's just because, it's just because I like to push things. You know, there are those who don't want, and, and I used to be one, so I know whereof I speak. There are those who say, as Christians, we shouldn't celebrate anything. Shouldn't celebrate Christmas because it's not biblical, it's not the right time of year, yada, yada, yada. And you know, and Easter comes from a Saturday, and da, 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 and you get all of that. And you know, then people tell you to read the two Babylons, and you know, by, by Islam, and you start reading these things, and you're going, I think God wants us to have a good time, and I think God wants to celebrate things. Now, here's what's going on. This is not a Torah from the law holiday. It's not written. You go, ba go back to Exodus. There's no, there's no celebration. But they decided to do it. Now, here's what this tells me. This is in the Bible, and they're doing it, and God doesn't say, no, stop. I didn't give you permission to do that. I think when we celebrate things that the Lord does, it's good. And, you know, now I'm the guy who, hey, 
If we're gonna do Christmas, let's do it big. And let's find ways to bring Christ into Christmas and into the places we work and the places we go and the things we do. So, hey, they're celebrating this. Oh, and then it tells us, it tells us in verse 23, so the Jews accepted the custom which had begun as Mordecai had written to them and because Haman, the son of Hamadath of the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews and annihilated them and had cast her, that is uh, the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came, see we're kind of getting this book in, in two verses, but when Esther came before the king and commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised uh, against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. So they called these days Purim. And to this day, Israel celebrates Purim. And they gather together and they remember. You know, it's kind of like, hey, the Passover isn't just, you know, isn't just some fairy tale thing. It's something that's stuck in their hearts. Now, listen, I know God gave them Passover. I know he gave them Pentecost. He gave them those. But in my mind, he also gave them this. And they're celebrating it and they're coming together and they're celebrating the fact that God delivered them. Hey, they're not celebrating the fact Whoa, we were so strong and so good. They're celebrating the fact that God worked in such a way to raise up Esther, to raise up Mordecai, to get those letters written, for them to take that stand. And then they come together and they feast and they do these things. I think it's fantastic. And as I was reading this, I kept reading, it's on the 13th day of the month of Adar, which is, would be our March. And so today as I was reading it, I was thinking, I surely hope we're not gonna be there during Purim. Not, not that I don't wanna be in Israel during a celebration, but the problem is last time we went to Israel, we were there during two or three, it ended up being three different holy days. And you know what happens in Israel during holy days? Nothing. And, and it, was, uh, it was the Memorial Day, and then it was the Holocaust Memorial Day, and then it was the Memorial Day of the Memorial Day of the Holocaust Memorial Day. And I'm thinking, this is way too many, and it, it did kind of wreck some of the things we were supposed to do. So I'm thinking, man, I hope, I hope did I do that again? And I planned it during Purim, which would be two days, and then they'd probably tack on a day for, you know, having the two days, and then things are shut down, you can't do anything, but we're not. So if you're going to Israel with us, we're good. We're going right after, and it should be done. But today the Jews still celebrate that. Now, I, I wrote down how they come together. So when they come together, they do it on the 13th day of the month, which is not really because this year they're doing it on the 9th and 10th, but it's probably the 13th day of the way they would do it. So, hey, when they come together, they go to the synagogue, and here's what they do. They go to the synagogue, and they read the book of Esther publicly. And as they're reading the book of Esther, this would be fun. This would be, fun. I'm not sure we should do it here. But as they read the book of Esther, every time Haman's name is mentioned, they spit and then they, they shout, cursed be his name. Don't spit. I just thought, really? So, hey, obviously they don't like him. And the kids have, the younger people have a little rattle. And so every time his name is mentioned, spit, 
Cursed be his name. And, brrr, and so that would take a time to get through the book, right? I'm thinking, man, it must take them all day long to read that book. And so then they do that on the first day, and then they fast that day on the 13th because it's the day that they, they had the war and the battle. Then on the 14th day of the month, they come back to the synagogue, read the book of Esther again, and go through that same ceremony. And then, and then they also read the book of Exodus in chapter 17 to find out why all of this is happening and where it's coming from. And then they go home and they have a huge feast. They exchange gifts. They give to the poor. Kind of a cool tradition to have, I think. And, you know, and some people go, well, I don't think we should do that because it's not in the Bible. Well, then, you know what? Don't do it. Yeah, that's the way I feel about it. If you don't think we should do it, then you don't do it, but don't put your stuff on me. Because I used to put my stuff on people. My wife is a saint. Should have put up with that. I remember there was a year I went, nope, no Christmas. Ain't happening in this house. So we had a sunroom, so she put it out there. It's not in the house, it's on the porch. So, little transparency. I'm so glad God saved me. I'm glad he saved me even after he saved me. So, hey, so they're doing this. Now, now listen, I love it. And then, and then, again, verse 24, so they called these days Purim after the name of pure, meaning lot. Therefore, because all the words of this letter, what they, had, uh, what they had seen concerning the matter and what had happened to them, the Jews established and impressed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to what was written, according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city, and these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. Why is that so important? To understand that God is with them. And we should have those things. Listen, our relationship with God should not be some distant thing that, that we read about. It should, be, it should be up close and personal. And they have this, man, and they celebrate this. You know the Jews, Hanukkah. You know Hanukkah's not in the Bible. Well, it is, because Jesus went to Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights. But it's not a biblical. It doesn't come out of the Torah either. Hanukkah's all about the time when the Maccabees, you know, withheld and stood against uh, the, the Antiochus Epiphanes and the Romans and, and came against them and they were cleansing the temple. They didn't have enough oil. They only had oil for, you know, one day and miraculously the oil burned for, for seven days. So hence the seven candles, etc. all that go along with Hanukkah. That's all part of that. And when people tell me, you know, well, you shouldn't do this. Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. He went and celebrated a Feast of Lights, right? He was into that. So I'm thinking if Jesus is into some things, I guess I ought to lighten up a little bit. So same thing here. I'm sure that Jesus celebrated Purim. 
And then it tells us, listen, not quite done yet. Verse 29, then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim. So not only did Mordecai write it, Esther wrote it. And I'm thinking, where's Ahasuerus? Well, he'll show up in a minute. But, and Mordecai sent the letters to all the Jews in verse 30 and to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth. Did you get that? Words of peace and truth. Hey, they weren't fighting to make war. They were fighting to bring peace. There's a huge difference. And they're bringing peace. They're bringing truth in that. And then it tells us to confirm, verse 31, the days of Purim they're, uh, uh, at their appointed time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them and as they decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning the matters of their fathers and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim and it was written in the book. So there it is, Right? Now, we're not quite done. I'm not sure. Chapter 10 is like a really short chapter, huh? Chapter 10 kind of, I guess, just wraps it up and kind of comes back to where we started in verse, in verse 1. And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on all the islands of the sea. Now the acts of his power and his might and the account of greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? And I'm, that has a question mark. I think that was supposed to be a statement. Yes, they are. Isn't it interesting that we end right where we started? King Ahasuerus in power, being king, doing what he does as king. At the very end, what does it say? King Ahasuerus is still in power, being king, doing what kings do. Hey, what changed? The only thing that changed was the people got a letter saying they could defend themselves. That's all that changed. Now they're doing life again and they're going through life because that standing up brought peace to the land and brought peace to the entire country. So it ends up here, verse three, for Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus. Isn't it interesting? Do you think that Mordecai ever in his wildest imagination thought he would be second to the king? Man, I look at, I, that's what I love about reading. Daniel, look at where Daniel rose to. And it's about the same time period. And then Joseph, Joseph is the best story, right? Joseph went through so much stuff and his brother sold him. And, you know, whenever I read about Joseph, I think, you know, what a bunch of punks. And these are the guys who started the 12 tribes of Israel. So, hey, he's second, man. I, I, think, I think he pinched himself every morning. And then it says, and, and Mordecai the Jew was second uh, to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews, well received by the multitude of, the, of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all of his countrymen. So there we go. That's the book of Esther. So the book of Esther is all about, to me, is all about God intervening in our world without ever mentioning the name of God, without ever mentioning prayer, without all of those things that people get all freaked out about in Esther. But all the way through Esther, what do you see? God and prayer. All the way through. It doesn't have to always be spoken or written. It's there. And everybody who wants to do away with that book is a little loony. 
just belongs. So this March 9th and 10th, you can do the whole Purim thing if you want. You read the book of Esther, spit, <laughs> shake a rattle, and say he is cursed as you're going through it. Not here, not here, do it at home. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you so much, God, for challenging us. We thank you for your grace in our lives. And I do pray, Lord, I pray for, I pray for all of us standing here right now. That, Lord, you would become as real to us as you were to that group of Jews who were living in exile, who weren't necessarily living the greatest life, but trusting you, walking through it. And I pray that we would learn that, that we would believe your word, that we would stand on your word. And God, that you would be glorified in our lives. Thank you. Thank you for a little simple book that can challenge us and cause us to think about who we are in our relationship with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.